mom deserves better than a drugstore card. This Mother's Day, surprise her with a truly special personalized card from Moonpig. Add your favorite photos, a heartfelt message, and we'll even mail it for you the same day, all for just $5. From mom to grandma, we have something to celebrate every mom in your life. Every mom deserves a Moonpig card. Get 50% off your first card at Moonpig.com. Moonpig.com Small details are big surfaces. Tight corners are odd shapes. Flat, rounded, textured, or tall. Whatever your next project, there's a spray paint pattern that's just right. Because Rust-Oleum's new Custom Spray 5-in-1 gives you control with five different spray patterns. So you can tackle nooks, crannies, edges, and curves without worrying about drips, runs, uneven coverage, or anything else. Custom Spray 5-in-1. Only from Rust-Oleum. Hello. Welcome to another episode of Telling Everybody Everything. Fred Kutstra, my son, my only son, he is going to possibly start nursery three mornings a week in September. I feel like each kid is unique, but that's when Violet was of the age that she was happy to be in a social setting without me all of a sudden two years plus three months, she just blossomed and she was a really clingy baby. But by then she was like, I'm excited. And no, I didn't put her in a daycare all day, every day, but she too went to this little morning nursery that was around the corner. And she liked having just a few hours a week away from me with other children her age. I don't feel that it moved her on intellectually or socially. If anything, I think that it took away from some of (laughs) how articulate she was at home. And she kind of learned how to be an asshole from certain kids and that sucked, but that's life. So we took Fred to the one that we've chosen. Um, We were on a wait list for a while and then there was a space. So we were invited to have a morning place and you feel like really special in London when you get one of these places because they're very hard to come by. And I was like, oh my gosh, Fred has a place. Let's go. Let's pay the deposit. Let's get him all set up. And only then did I realize that Bobby and I had not actually been in to view the nursery. Um, It's like a Montessori private nursery. I've heard lots of recommendations. Uh, I know people whose children have gone there. It's really a beautiful place to look at online. All the reviews are really good. But I was like, you know, we need to go there for ourselves. And we've been speaking to Fred about school a lot. So I thought it would be really good to get him excited for the summer. Be like, that's school. Remember, we spoke about school. When the summer's over, you're going to start school, blah, blah, blah. So we took him. School run traffic. I mean, we booked a show round for 9.45 this morning. And I thought, well, great. Rush hour will be done by then. It should take 20 minutes to get there. It took about 35, which is not a surprise. And Fred was cool in the car. But just getting the two of them dressed and ready to get out of the house Fenna wakes up so early that she's on her first nap by that time. So we had to kind of wait a few minutes so that she would wake up naturally, which she did get her dressed, get the milk, get Fred's leftover breakfast that he didn't eat because he's used to a leisurely morning, get some juice, get everything you need in the car. Those of you with one small child or two or three or God knows how many you have, you know that it's a whole production. You can't just leave. And if you don't have kids, then really, really enjoy the fact that you can just walk out of the house with your keys and your phone. You know, you don't have to think about snacks or juice or whatever. You leave that house with the clothes on your back, 
phone in your hand or not if you don't want to. Maybe not even keys if there's someone to let you back in. You just fucking walk out the door naked and that's your day. With small children, you have to plan for every eventuality. And I'm pretty good at it now on my third, but whatever. I've got a backpack full of shit. We're out the door right on time. We're listening to this. Oh, I should tell you, if you have small children, there's a song by Imelda May that's allegedly developed by loads of child psychologists. It's on Spotify or wherever you get your music. It's called The Happy Song. Maybe I can let you listen to a minute of it. It's supposed to calm any crying child. Here it is. So that's the song, and um, we tried that out. The kids are really chill anyway. Fena, it's impossible to tell if something's making her happy or sad because she's just like, just, I'm here, guys, happy to be involved. Uh, Fred was great in the car. We listened to the happy song. We listened to some different things. And then when we got there, I felt emotional right at the gate. I thought, oh my gosh, oh, this is like a big school. It goes up to age five. All the little kids were in uniform. It was so cute. We got to the door and we went in and immediately I realized, oh, this is not just a private drop-in show around for Fred and for us. This is like one of many scheduled show arounds where there are lots of adults here. There were probably eight other adults and no kids. I mean, one baby, uh, but no other kids. And we had to wait for the whole group to have arrived. So some people were late. We were stood in this tiny reception area for maybe 15 minutes. And Fred was being very friendly. You know, we told him on the way there, you're going to school. I showed him the video of the school. He was prepped. And Fred is so smart. He's not even two years old. And he's like, good morning. Hello. Upstairs, I go that way with mama. You know, he, he wants to get started and play with the toys. He knew what was waiting behind that door. So we wait for all the adults. And then the head comes out. She's too glam to give a damn. She's got a beautiful blowout. She's nice and thin. She's got a Ghani collar. If you don't know what I'm talking about, G-A-N-N-I. They did these big collars that other designers have done as well. Really big last summer. They're still in now. You put them under a jumper or something. They just, it's like a pilgrim effect, but it looks really cool. I recognize that right away. I have one of my own, but I never know how to wear it. I was at ITV the other day. Uh, getting a lot of gossip that I can't share with you, but that's where I was. And the receptionist there had this Ghani collar with a really hard Harley Davidson t-shirt over top. And the juxtaposition of that was really cool. But the head of this school had it under a soft, like forest green jumper and leggings. And that looked just as cool. They're very affordable as well. They sell shirts, dresses, but also just the collar on its own. And it's, you know, stretched across a few seasons, still in fashion. So I'm going to whip mine out soon. I was inspired. So this lady comes out. She's beautiful. And her daughter works there as well. She's beautiful. Fred is a very shallow man's man. So of course, he's already chatting to the daughter who's like 20. And she's just stunning. She's like, good morning, Fred. He's like, a good morning, like really laying on thick for her. So right away, he's pretty happy, but he's had to wait a while. The head comes out. And it is apparent that this is not a tour aimed at Fred. 
It's a tour for parents. She's getting all into the aims and goals of the school and introducing all the staff with pictures and talking about just, I don't know what she was talking about, just what they do there, I guess. (laughs) Talking about puppets. Oh, each room has a puppet and we speak about feelings. You know, it was all very, very uh, all-encompassing, informative. It was super thorough and I loved what they were doing. But I mean, just show us the puppets. Like, just walk us around and let us observe for ourselves what happens. And that's how we'll find out about these classroom puppets. But no, we had to stand in this very small reception area and discuss it. And that's fine for adults. But I really wish someone had told me, like, because I said, I'm going to bring Fred and my husband and my baby. And they were like, all right. I wish they had said, maybe get childcare for Fred because he won't like it. It's like a very academic experience for parents. So then finally after this chat, and Fred was so patient. He didn't kick off and I was on the brink of kicking off. I was like, this is boring me. Like I've read all this stuff. I know it. That's why I'm here. So then they open the door and we get to go and see the school. And again, of course, it's a high security environment. I love that about the school. But parents had to put their phones in a little zippy thing and leave it at reception. Like you're at a Kevin Hart concert or something. I was like, uh, is Dave Chappelle back there? Like, why am I giving you my phone? Whoops, sorry about that noise. Unprofessional. So we had to relinquish our phones. Perfect. I don't want anyone going in there taking photos of my child either. And you shouldn't be on the phone during a go round. It's a great company policy. No phones when you're with the kids. Love it. But then we went round and there was just more talking and there was more explaining like this is what these kids do. And we got to observe some kids having uh, a performance. They had a fairy and some prince in giving them this amazing performance. And the school's great. I mean, I understand that state schools do not offer this. They have a sports department and a music department and a drama department and all these different things. And the kids were being treated to this amazing show but they were sat in this beautiful garden for the show and the garden had toys and things to do in a kitchen and lots of real sensory stuff for Fred. In the classrooms, he would be thrilled because there's a little art center and a sensory table with lots of leaves and dirt and bugs and magnifying glasses and then another sensory table with toy zoo animals and grass and all the kids that we were observing looked like they were really having fun. But to say to Fred, oh, I thought we'd be alone and we would just be with you while you got to explore some of this stuff. But actually what's happening is you have to watch other kids play and you can't touch. I mean, that was a bit difficult for him. He handled it so well, but I just felt so guilty having brought him there because it was like, fuck. Now, when we go to actually drop him off at school, I think he'll have a negative memory You know, I think he'll be like, well, wait a minute. I was here and it was quite hectic and there were a lot of grownups around because each classroom did feel really crowded. And that's not to say the ratios were off. I know that if the show round hadn't been happening, it would have been perfect amount of adults to kids and everything's really balanced. Still, it felt like a lot of kids and a lot of adults. But then with the eight extra grown-ups in these small rooms, I just don't know. I don't know about the school now. I do love it. I think it's a great school, but I'm not sure that it's the right setting for Fred. And I didn't get to ask certain questions like, you know, What's the situation with going to the potty? Because I noticed some of these kids were still in nappies and I don't want that for Fred. And I noticed some toilets and I noticed some changing stations. I just, I don't know. I had some like one-on-one cues that I wanted to ask. And then also he's like very young, I think. He's not even two yet. 
and he would be in a class with all the children that had already turned two. He would be like the youngest one, I guess. And I think for sports, aren't you supposed to make your kid the oldest one that you can? That's what I read, because then they're bigger. And a year, like a whole year when you're two is 50% of your life, it's a long time. And then on the way out, Fred and Bobby went ahead. They went across the road to the park because it had just been, it's a bit stuffy, it was just too much. And uh, Fred behaved himself so well. I was really blown away by Fred. And again, I'm not slagging off the school. Really nice teachers, really nice staff, lovely, sensory, all-encompassing, like great school. But on the way out, I was giving Fenna some milk and I needed to thaw breast milk that I brought because I didn't want to be like pumping in front of these kids. And Fenna sometimes doesn't take the breast when we're out and about. So I brought a bag of frozen milk and they have a chef at this school and he makes amazing food and he lets the kids, they have times that they go in and they made scones for the coronation and they get to make, they get to stuff uh, jacket potatoes. They get to do all kinds of cool things. But the chef got me some hot water. I was thawing my milk and then waiting in reception to put the milk in the bottle once it was warm. And all these kids come down. Now these kids are like four or five and they're waiting for their performance. They get to go through and see their own version of what I had just observed upstairs with the fairy and the prince and the puppet show. And these kids are lining up, and they're all very friendly. I mean, this is what I love about the school, is that they are raising these kids in this community where they feel really confident, and their voice is heard, and they're really comfortable speaking to adults. And this little boy was like, hey, who are you? And I said, oh, hello, my name, I'm a mummy. Uh, Who are you? And he was like, my name is, you know, James or whatever. And then it goes... When's the entertainer getting here? And I thought, ooh, James, I've heard it so many times before. What a slam. He thought like he had come downstairs to see an entertainer and he was queuing up and there I am and who am I? And I dress very kid friendly when I know I'm going to be in a kid environment. So like a bright blue jumpsuit on and I took the effort, you know, I put makeup on, did my hair. I don't want to scare these kids. And he's like, when's the entertainer getting here? And I went, oh, that's a slam, James. And then he says, do you know, I'm very funny. I said, yeah, I'm very funny too. And he was like, well, I'm very funniest. I was like, what is with men? All men. I meet a man for five seconds. When's the entertainment getting here? You know how many times someone shouted that to me on stage the early part of my career and now I got to listen to it from a four-year-old? Anyway, I loved him. He was so cute. He was really funny. And I was like, don't worry. The entertainment's through there. I'm just waiting for my baby's milk and then I'm bouncing from this dump. I liked it. The trouble is, Fred is signed up. I mean, he is meant to start in September. And I almost wish we hadn't done this show run or we hadn't brought him, certainly, because now I'm not sure about it. So we're going to see another school tomorrow, a country school. And if we decide to go to that one, then I'm going to lose my deposit. But ultimately, I want Fred to be where is best for Fred. And it means that a very coveted place might be open for one of you at this other school. I hope it's clear that I'm not slagging off the school. You know, it's very hard for me to talk about any subject because, you know, I I tell the good, the bad, and the ugly about everything. And I'm positive about this place. It's just our experience was a little bit... A lot of you wrote me about my daughter's school teaching emotional manipulation from last week. I was concerned about that. Violet was assigned... um, to write a persuasive letter to a celebrity to come speak at the school. I gave her templates from the persuasive letters I have received to go speak at Cambridge and Oxford. All declined. I'm just busy. I will do it one day, kids, but not now. Um, Though I might go to Birmingham University soon. A very interesting invite from them. 
So I gave her that template and she followed it, just saying, here's my school. My school's great. And we'd love you to come because we're such a fan of this, that, and the other. And we can be flexible to your schedule. And the teacher wrote back, uh, you didn't use any emotional manipulation. And I was so confused by that. I was like, yeah, good. And a lot of you wrote me about it. And you said, it is great to teach them to recognize emotional manipulation. They have to know what it is to identify it in their own interpersonal relationships, flag it up and know that it's wrong. I don't know specifically, Violet said the teacher wasn't saying whether it was right or wrong, but (laughs) I mean, I don't know, who knows? Violet might not have been paying attention. I am so sorry to say that the lady whose husband was texting with the woman at work, they had two small kids, two under two, she has yet to give us an update. And if you are listening, please update us. What did you do? What did you say? How is it going? How are you feeling? I feel very invested in this one. There have been lots of replies to that. A lot of people uh, praising my advice, saying, yeah, you know what I mean? It's not worth ending a marriage over. It doesn't sound like he cheated. And then there are other people who are saying that they think he might have cheated or like, why was he texting? Why did this woman feel that she could send him a photo unless there was something there? And I mean, I'll tell you what one of my ex-boyfriend's mothers said to me. She was talking about friends of hers having encountered infidelity in their marriage. And she said he took, uh, he, he cheated and she took him back and it's the best their marriage has ever been. And it was a low point for him and it, he really learned a lesson and it was like the best thing to happen to their marriage. And I remember her telling me this, being like, what the fuck are you, but big picture, I think I understand where she's coming from. Not every time, but in certain situations, you don't need to know the details, but even if it went further than it should have, it's like some people are strong enough as a couple and forgiving enough, and they're willing to look over something like that. Still personally, I don't think this guy from last week's coronation episode, if you haven't listened to it, I don't think he cheated. I think he was chatting a bit too much with this woman at work and she sent him an inappropriate selfie when she was drunk. A lot of people were like, well, why would she send that? You do not want to know things I've said, done, and sent while I'm drunk when in my 20s. Not now. I had lunch with my good friend, Rasheen Connady, on the way back from a meeting. And she was talking about her aunties and kids. And one of her aunties said... Uh, Having babies, it's a young woman's job. And that's because you have to run around after them. You need a lot of energy. And we were laughing about that. And I said, yeah, yeah, because I'm 40 now with these small kids almost. And I said, yeah, you know what? I think having kids is a young woman's job. That in alone is controversial in itself, but hear me out. Having babies is a young woman's job, but I think being married is an old woman's job. Because you need to have maturity and humility and a lot of patience to be in any successful partnership. And you have to make space for the other person's needs and you have to allow them to be themselves. And you also often have to love them through mistakes. And you have to put work into the relationship. Sometimes someone violates your boundaries to the point that you can leave. Of course you can. And if you don't love them anymore and you don't like them anymore, you deserve to be happy and that's different. But it sounds to me like this woman 
really loves this man. They have these small children. I feel like they can work through it. I just need to know the updates. We do have updates from the lady who was pursuing artificial insemination on her own and then met a guy that she really liked. You will remember her letter from last time. She's written us to say, Dear Catherine, I did end up telling him about my baby plans. I opened with the fact that we normally wouldn't be talking about babies this early in the game, but hey, here is a thing I'm doing with my life. We can keep dating if that sounds fine to you. Having watched The Duchess, it was easy to proudly live this truth. He was actually really cool with the whole thing. He brought up on his own that at our age, if we want to get into age-appropriate relationships, we have to realize that the people we'll meet will have histories and goals that need to be focused on. On that note, I did not fall pregnant this time around, but I'm ready and eager to try next month. But try with whom? Are you going to be doing another round of IVF with or IUI or whatever you're doing with this donor sperm? Or are you going to bang this guy, raw dog, and see if you have his baby? We need to know. Another response. Someone wrote heartbreakingly about her trepidation in having another baby following a very traumatic birth. So many people wrote out of the, wrote in about this one. A lot of you were moved by it. A lot of midwives, a lot of moms, a lot of people with advice, a lot of psychologists, counselors, Here are two that Joanne chose to forward on. These were her favorites. She said, birth trauma, advice and love from a midwife. Catherine, I've just listened to your most recent podcast where a woman wrote in talking about her guilt surrounding not wanting to give birth again following her traumatic birth. I'm a student midwife and I've sadly seen other women in very similar situations when they discover they're pregnant again following a birth trauma. What I've seen in the health board I work in that could benefit your listener is the birth birth debrief system. Following traumatic events during labor and antenatal care, a woman can request an appointment with the consultant midwife to go through the aspects of the birth. I've seen many women benefit from this, being able to gain more clarity over why things may have happened the way they did and alleviate some concerns regarding their subsequent pregnancies. Your listener doesn't even need to go to this appointment with the aim of wanting to have another baby, but it could be a good way for her to address the PTSD it sounds like she's suffering from. I think your advice to just focus on herself and to know that there are many ways to have more children is great. However, if we as a profession don't recognize these women and have the opportunity to discuss what we could have done better and how we can support them going forward, then it will just support the negative rhetoric that's present in society regarding birth as an unavoidable traumatic event. You're right. Every birth is different and unpredictable, but if given the correct support, I've heard women talk so positively about their experiences, even if it's ended up in emergency situations like your listeners did, sending all my love. I've had three pretty great births, but maybe I just remember everything as being great as soon as it was done. That's something that my brain does. Everyone's like, how was high school? I'm like, fab. They're like, how are your parents? I'm like, awesome. How was that relationship? Eh, It was weird. I don't know. I don't remember. I just, I'm lucky that I haven't had trauma, but I I suppose after we had pregnancy loss, we had a little bit of PTSD from that and couldn't enjoy our pregnancy. So I guess maybe that's what it's like for you in a different sense. Here's some more advice. Catherine, I just listened to this week's podcast and I felt for the lady who wrote in about her traumatic labor. First of all, I want to tell her her feelings are so valid. Whilst my own story is a little different, I do recognize her feelings. So she is not alone in her emotions. 
After my own experience, I did a couple birth listening services. The hospital you deliver at should offer this, but you can also do impartial ones with private practitioners who are specially trained and serve to help you understand your experience. My recommendation is Lily Morrison, whose Instagram is mixing up motherhood. So it's at mixing up motherhood. Her service is 60 pounds and worth every penny. Plus, if your listener can't afford that, Lily also does a pay it forward service. Oh, where others who can't afford it will prepay a session. And then you can ask Lily totally judgment free to be in line for a free debrief that has been paid forward. I'm going to do that today. Guys, I've turned my back on a lot of charities and I still support many grassroots charities. And there are some big charities that do great work, but I've seen too many of them piss money up the wall. So this is the type of farm-to-table charity that I am all about. Time is a great healer, and within the first year after your baby is born, you are prioritized in the NHS for perinatal mental health support. So I would recommend if you want to seek therapy and utilize the perinatal specialists, then get that flagged up sooner rather than later to your GP. For what it's worth, I looked at my eldest daughter in the hospital and sobbed to my husband that I'll never, ever have another one. After therapy and a debrief with Lily, I finally felt ready, and now I have our second baby. She might never get there in her own journey. It might be different or making peace with it. Um, She might just have one child, which is fine too, but I wanted to share the support I used that helped me. From highbrow to the lowest of low, 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 low brow, there was a young woman living with a man. This MF was in her house, and she discovered after years together that he was taking photos of her feet while she slept or while she was otherwise engaged and didn't know, and he didn't have consent. And I'm very pleased to say that she has written me with this update for you guys. Guys, foot fetish man is in the bin. It was good to get your insight about my foot photo situation last week. I can confirm to your listeners, I have left him. I knew the relationship was probably doomed since I started going through his phone, but seeing these photos really, really ended it for me. I left him a letter with the photos and packed up my things that I will be picking up with my dad (laughs) on Saturday. As he had that secret side to him that took those photos when I was vulnerable, I couldn't feel safe breaking it off on my own without my dad. He had other, probably consensual, sexual photos and videos he'd kept of exes, which I'd confronted him about before, and he was astonished that I knew about them before quickly apologizing and deleting most of them. That's another entire mind fuck. Anyway, I told you before my mom and therapist, so I should probably work on my family communication, but I appreciate your honesty. I'm sad to leave London, but I'll hopefully move back on my own soon. I hope that your listeners feel encouraged to hold up their personal boundaries if they're ever faced with something like this. See, it's going to be okay. Of course you will move back to London on your own. And you're not wrong. With housing prices lately, to be in London, you often have to live with a foot fetishist. (laughs) But, you know, he's your landlord usually. And I'm so excited that your dad is turning up with you to get your stuff. Because this guy, like there's a certain type of man who doesn't respect he doesn't respect you obviously or he wouldn't be doing these things behind your back 
And even though you feel brave and empowered now, there could be a kickback that I want you to be ready for, sort of like a tsunami. You know, the water pulls out from the shore and you feel like, oh, everything's fine. And then it just comes and crashes back down on you. So you're going to start remembering the good times and you're going to miss things about this guy and you're going to miss London, but you just have to hold strong and remember that, you know, it's sad to say he loved you as much as he could, but he views you as an object and that is a deal breaker. And he will respect your dad there because he will think, okay, that's the dad that's between me and, and this property. This is no longer my property. And your dad should wear the sexiest sliders that he can and get his big dad feet out for this man. I think your dad should take a bunch of pics. I mean, not to kink shame anyone too bad. I feel bad for this guy now, which I shouldn't. See, see what women are like. Your dad needs to take the crustiest. You know who's been very brave on Instagram this week? Tokyo Styles. Is that Tokyo's last name? Tokyo used to do Kylie Jenner's hair and maybe makeup. I think now Tokyo's pronouns are she. And she's gone through lots of gender reassignment surgery that she has shared online. And her bum is like Kardashian level of nice. But just today she shared her feet and she was like, look, from years of dancing, I have bunions, I have, she has really thick, weird, um, not to, you know, she's brave sharing these pics, but really, I don't know what they're called, toenails that are really, really thick and bunions. And she's having foot surgery to correct all of that. And that, you know, she shouldn't be ashamed of it because it's from being a dancer. It's from being an athlete. And even if it wasn't, whatever, but you need to get a hold of these pics and take some pics of your dad's feet and Give those to your boyfriend as a parting gift, your ex. And your dad needs to let him know, like, what happens in the dark, bitch, shall come to light. Bye. We're all very proud of you. Oh my God, I'm such a multitasker. While I was doing this podcast, I messaged Mixing Up Motherhood about how to do the pay it forward scheme. And if any of you want to do the same, these are her instructions. Isn't the world so instant now? No wonder we have such short attention spans. Hello, lovely. Um, it's great to get a message from you. Basically, you go on my website and it's there and you just pay for whatever sessions you want. One, two, whatever. And um, put a reference paid forward and it basically goes into the pot. So at the moment I've got a waiting list of ten and it goes into the pot and I go through the list um, one at a time and send them all the session. That's, that's it. And I'll obviously invoice you or send a receipt or whatever you need. 10. I'm paying for 10 right now. You're getting a session and you're getting a session. I'm not getting a session. I'm not getting a session. Bobby forgot to eat yesterday. And I don't know what's going on with Bobby. I mean, it doesn't happen very often. He had a gin and tonic at the end of the day, but on an empty stomach, one gin and tonic, he was just a little bit gooned to say the least. And I blame Mark Wahlberg. I feel if you don't know what I'm talking about, you can listen to the Mark Wahlberg dad bod podcast. And someone tweeted the other day that the female contribution to the household can be summed up by the fact that you never see a woman with a secret family. You have never, you will never read about or hear about a woman. Can you believe it? She had two families. Yes, yes. She had three kids in Ohio and she had a husband and two more kids in West Virginia. It just does not happen because both of those families would be starving or dead. And 
sometimes I look at my husband's behavior. My husband's great, by the way. He's super, super hands-on. He and Fred, their relationship is going from strength to strength. But sometimes we lose him in the night. And I just think, if I behaved like that once, I'd be sectioned. Once. If you were like, oh my God, Catherine has decided that she's going to do what Anne Hathaway does. I don't know if Anne Hathaway does this or not, but she looks like a teenager at the minute. Anne Hathaway plays 18 holes of golf at 4 a.m. and then has a workout, then has a nap, then doesn't eat anything except like pre-workout drinks, has another workout, looks at her kids through a window, winks at them, uh, but doesn't make direct eye contact, then has another nap, and then has a gin and tonic for dinner. Like I would be sectioned immediately for behaving like a dad. (laughs) And sometimes that just fucking grinds my gears. Um, Now, having said that, it was one gin and tonic and he was up early for the school show round this morning. I mean, Bobby's incapable of getting hungover. Why? Because he's an athlete. But um, I was reading online that we're being tracked. We all know we're being tracked. Anything you say in the presence of your phone or in the presence of any listening device, really, Alexa, sometimes your TV, like who knows? I don't mean to say anything negative about any specific product. It's just entrenched in society right now, all this AI and sales, listening, data mining. I don't want to be part, a small part even, of aggregated data that's not my choice. I hate it. I hate that. I know it is my choice. It's like, well, if you want to use this, we're listening. Deal? Uh, No. Well, yes, it is. Oh, all right, fine. Like uh, You'll always cave. But they said, go into your settings on your phone. You can do it now with me. And then scroll down until you see privacy. And then go to the microphone. And it will show you all of the apps that are using your microphone to listen to you. For me, I've got Instagram, Kira Kira, my home security system, Messenger, Monzo, which is not even my card. It's the family house card, Violet's whatever. The ring cameras. Snapchat's listening, Teams, Microsoft Teams listening, TikTok, Twitter, WhatsApp, and Zoom. Now, a lot of those apps need to listen because they're for communicating and they need your microphone so that you can have a Zoom call. And Instagram needs your microphone so that you can record sound when you are making an Instagram reel. Well, I didn't know this. I just turned it all off. And really, if I was being careful, I would have it turned off all the time that I'm not using it. Turned it all off. And then I met India from Love Island. She's with Dami, the Irish one, and they made a big splash on Love Island. Violet, from the beginning, was like, that is the most beautiful girl I've ever seen in my life. India and I were filming something. She had this adorable little pink, pretty little thing. And I don't, I don't like fast fashion. I know that PLT have like a sustainable range now, but how sustainable really is it when it's four pounds? She has a range. She was wearing a pink bomber jacket and really cute trousers from her range, a little crop top. I can see why Violet likes her. Eyelashes, lovely makeup, beautiful lip gloss on point, hair on point. She looked beautiful. And Violet was cross with me that day because every once in a while I go into her Snapchat and I post something to her story. (laughs) It'll just be like my face with the tongue outside and the peace sign like the kids do. I don't know why they all just look like lizards now. Violet will be sending her friends a message. She'll be like, hey girl, I'm just gonna see you later. Mm, we're gonna go down to the thing and then I'll pick up some mm, Skittles and then we can go to school together, mm, meet you in the bins and then we'll get some Starbucks later. Mm, they just stick their tongue, I don't get it, but that's the language of the youth. So I stick my tongue out <laughs> to the side 
And I put this on her story. Why? Because Violet is 14 years old next month and she is not allowed Snapchat that I don't have access to. So I spot check, I check the messages, I check what she's doing every once in a while. Not that I don't trust her, but it's just, she's not old enough to operate a system like that on her own. It's not safe. Everything deletes. They can find like trouble on there. There could be predators on there. I don't care. The best kid in the world, the most trustworthy, wonderful, studious child ever should not have a private Snapchat or if it was up to me, any Snapchat yet. So our compromise is that Violet can have it, but I'm in it. So every once in a while I post my face so that the friends think about me. They think before they tweet or snap, whatever. They think about my face. And then they go, oh yeah, Violet's mom jumps on here once in a while. Maybe I'll be careful. But anyway, Violet was cross about that. She's like, oh no, your face. So um, when I saw India, I said, oh, I know. I'll make it up to Violet. And her Snapchat login is on my phone. Like I don't have my own Snapchat. I have hers on my phone. So I said, India, would you please do a thing for Violet, please? This is her Snapchat. She's crossed with me. I explained the whole thing. And India was so cute. She was like, hi, Violet. It's me, India. I love you. You're so gorgeous, beautiful. Stay in school, girls. You know, she did this cute little thing. She looked adorable. And I know that that went out to Violet's private story. All her friends would see it and be like, oh, cool. Like some, you know, there are swings and roundabouts with Violet. Sometimes we have to look at her mom, but other times we get a personalized message from India off Love Island. But I, the boomer, had turned off my microphone. I had disallowed Snapchat access to my microphone. So it's just beautiful India basically miming. And you don't know what she's saying. And it's so sad. And like, I just, I, I just don't know how to operate my tech. And then there was no sound on it. So I had to go back in and turn my microphone on. Bobby and I are doing some exciting things together soon. He's coming on TV with me on like, I can't say what show, but one of Channel 4's biggest shows. And then also a very good friend. Uh, this wonderful couple have a very successful podcast. They also have a show. I don't know if we're announced yet. Bobby and I get to go beyond the show and I'm so excited for him. I can see Bobby's future being like a sports reporter or like a special, what are those called? Pundit like contributor. I don't know. He's just, it's the Mark Wahlberg diet has to come to some type of fruition at some point. He's so good on camera. He's so funny. Oh, and I was telling you guys, I had the meeting about my Canadian dating show and a lot of you keep writing because you want to be on it. You want to come with us to Western Canada and stay in the magical Lake O'Hara Lodge and you want to meet 10 hand-picked hunks. French Canadian boys, East Coast boys, West Coast boys, winter sports boys, ice hockey boys, fishermen boys. You want to meet them all. And don't you worry. It was a positive meeting. It was, that's all I'll say. It was a very positive meeting. I might not be the only one with a husband who has one gin and tonic and then it's lights out. <laughs> Let's listen to some messages from our sponsors. And when we return, I will see what the listeners are saying in the letters today. Small details are big surfaces, tight corners are odd shapes, flat, rounded, textured, or tall. Whatever your next project, there's a spray paint pattern that's just right. Because Rust-Oleum's new Custom Spray 5-in-1 gives you control with five different spray patterns. So you can tackle nooks, crannies, edges, and curves 
without worrying about drips, runs, uneven coverage, or anything else. Custom Spray 5-in-1, only from Rust-Oleum. Hey, I'm Ryan Reynolds. Recently, I asked Mint Mobile's legal team if big wireless companies are allowed to raise prices due to inflation. They said yes. And then when I asked if raising prices technically violates those onerous two-year contracts, they said, what the f*** are you talking about, you insane Hollywood ass. So to recap, we're cutting the price of Mint Unlimited from $30 a month to just $15 a month. Give it a try at mintmobile.com slash switch. $45 up front for three months plus taxes and fees. Promote for new customers for limited time. Unlimited more than 40 gigabytes per month. Slows. Full terms at mintmobile.com. Dear Catherine, I'm 25 years old, and last November, I made the decision to cut contact with my biological father. The memories I have of him from childhood are essentially just a series of missed milestones and unfulfilled promises. I've always sensed that he was deeply uncomfortable with me being around, and as a result, I've only ever really seen him in the context of wider family events, which we both attend. Last year, I missed out on a family wedding as the invitation had gone to my dad, inviting him and his other children, and he forgot that he was supposed to include me. The final straw came when one of my younger siblings was going through something big, and I tried to reach out to support only to be told that this was something he and his partner were working through as a family, and it wasn't my business. What? And this is one of your siblings. God. In November, I told him it was absolutely fine that he didn't see me as family, but in that case, we could probably just stop forcing ourselves to talk. Since I've done this, he's been in touch more than ever. Despite me saying I wanted space, he texts me probably once a month with this can we talk lame message. So far, I've ignored him, but I feel... I need to shut this down for good. This man doesn't know me at all. How do I politely say I know he's only interested in maintaining an image of a relationship with me for the sake of the way he's perceived by the wider family? Or do I just continue to ignore him? What would you do or what would you tell Violet to do if she decided to cut contact with her own dad when she gets to my age? Oh, this is the thing about dads. And this is the experience that I have with my own dad is that... He comes from a different culture. He is older than I am, obviously. He, uh, I feel like my memories of him when I was younger were that he wasn't our lead caretaker. Do you know what I mean? Like he, he had more of a temper than my mom, but he wasn't like terrible. And he went to work and he did golf on the weekends. He would take us places and uh, he was, you know, oh, I don't, oh God, I'm so old. I don't, I think, cause you know, sometimes it's really difficult. You have constructed memories that you think are real memories, but sometimes they're not. They're you remembering memories. My mom, we were definitely with my mom more though. And then when I got to be a teenager, I didn't get along with my dad. And then there was a time that I didn't get along with my mom. And when my parents split up, I thought, well, why would I want to go over to my dad's house? Because my mom was just background for me being a teenager. But when I went to my dad's, I had to actually spend time with him. Like he wasn't satisfied just being background because he didn't get to see us as often. He thought, well, you're going to spend time with me. And that's the last thing a teenage girl wants to do. I have always told other single dads that I know, I've said, you know, you just have to exist in their world. If I was a single dad, or like a dad, um, I would just pull up outside the house every once in a while when I knew the kid was home and I would, with the mom's permission, and I would say, hey, do you want to go to Starbucks? 
with the mom's permission. And then the kid would probably be like, yes, I do. And then they would sit next to me in the car and talk facing forward. I would drive them to Starbucks, get them a frappa, whatever, and talk on the way back home and drop them back off 10 minutes in the car. You would see me doing that as a dad every day if I, if I could do it every day. And I wouldn't be like, well, you didn't make any videos to show my family what a cool dad I am. And you didn't take any pictures with me. And you didn't, because I know there are these dads that take like hostage videos, honestly. They're like, now say hello to Steven. Now say hello to your aunt. Now say hello in the like 15 minutes that they're in the kid's company. And that is, that is what you're probably talking about, that your dad's trying to keep up appearances for the wider family. And that sucks. And that makes you feel like shit. I feel from your letter though, that you are hurt when he rebuffs you. Do you know, I don't really know the background of, yeah, like your childhood, he missed milestones and unfulfilled promises. Welcome to men. Um, And then now it's not about what he needs because you're the child, even though you're 25, you're his child. So it's more about what you need. What context do you want for your life? Do you want your dad in your life? for you, even accepting who he is for his faults and going, yeah, he forgets this and he's got this new family, but it's, it's good for me to know who he is and to have some contact with him because maybe it would be harder for you if you didn't have any contact with him. Cause I really appreciate my relationship with my dad now. And I think that no matter who your dad is, as long as he's not dangerous or abusive or causing you pain, he is, whether you like it or not, half of your DNA, you know, and you're going to see yourself in him. And maybe you might need a kidney one day. I hope not. And you probably don't want his men don't usually look after their kidneys that well, but you have siblings. He's their dad. You know, I'm, I'm sorry to tell you this, but he's not going to live forever. And when he has passed to the next phase of whatever this universe holds for us, you're going to laugh with your siblings about stupid things that he did, or even mean things that he did or nice things that he did. Like he's a point of reference for you in your existence as a human being on this earth. And he's not perfect, but I think if you can, it's always better to have these people in your life in some small way. And I like that he's reaching out and sending you texts. Can we talk? Can we talk? I would just reply. I would go, yeah, let's talk. Meet me for coffee or pick me up to drive to Starbucks or let's just have a phone chat, whatever. And write these things down if you feel intimidated when you're in the room with him or you get flustered. I would go, I don't like you treating me as being different to my siblings. You're my dad and you're their dad. And whatever your business is with my mother is not my business. I am, whether you you know recognize it or not, as much your child as they are. And you make me feel like this when you deny me that. Secondly, I worry that you getting in touch with me is superficial and you just want to look good in front of the wider family. That hurts my feelings because we could make a choice to start a relationship today. And I remember you missing things when I was young and letting me down when I was young. And that's impacted me in the following ways. But if you can hear me on these things and be better because now you're a grown up man and you're different to how you were 25 years ago, I'm willing to have a relationship with you, but I need to benefit from that relationship. You are my dad. No matter how old I am, you are my dad and you need to keep raising me. 
So like whatever, let bygones be bygones. I don't want you to be weird around me or uncomfortable. Do not treat me differently than my siblings. Do not use me as like a mask to look good to the wider family. Every interaction you have with me needs to be meaningful and genuine. And if you continue to let me down, I will cut you out of my life because it's more hurtful to have you in it than not. But right now, I think, I think you still need him in your life. Uh, and I'm so sorry that he, you felt that he didn't consider you his family. He shouldn't have said what he said to you. And I hear you on that. That sucks. But for your own sake, not his, for your own benefit, I think he should be in your life. And I've always encouraged Violet to have a relationship with her dad, not for his benefit, because I don't care about him, <laughs> but for her benefit. And her dad is not, you know, he and I don't see eye to eye on every single thing. And we're not exactly the same. But he will have good things about him and bad things about him, just like I do. And all of those things are important to Violet in the context of her, you know, lineage. I hope that helps. Catherine, being forced to choose between my husband and my child. Trigger warning, eating disorders. You choose your child. I could just skip to the next email, but I will read this. Catherine, I have my daughter at 18 years old. Her father wasn't interested, and besides the occasional text, they've never met or had contact. When my daughter was four, I reconnected with the high school boyfriend. Five years after that, we were married with two children of our own. My daughter has called my husband dad since the birth of our son, a middle child, when she was five years old, and we've never used terms like half or step family. In January, my daughter, who's now 13, started treatment for anorexia. We've spent the better part of the year so far in hospitals, clinics, therapy, etc. When my daughter's in the hospital, she's super compliant with nursing staff, but at home it's total refusal, unless she wants Starbucks or to go to the mall. Then she'll literally clean the plate. My feeling is that a typical 13-year-old spicy attitude plays a role in her behavior. Yes, of course it does. She can't separate herself from that. The stress of our daughter's health, lost income due to work absence, the ripple effect on our younger children, and falling behind on my university study has taken a major toll. Recently, my husband tabled a separation because my daughter's behavior brings out the worst in him. I love my husband, and I feel all the same frustrations watching our daughter, who despite maximal support from family and health workers, refuses to play an active part in keeping herself alive. Any advice is appreciated. I feel like I'm being forced to choose between the man I love and my child. I hate this. I hate this, but I'm excited because I know a lot of people listening will have expertise in the eating disorder category. And if you do have experience with eating disorders and specifically 13-year-old girls, please write tellingeverybodyeverything at gmail.com. I think a lot of us who have children um, not navigating this mental illness, and it is just an illness that she has, I'm sure, um, they, we struggle with the same thing. It's like my daughter refuses to participate in keeping herself alive as well. And yeah, she will only do anything if Starbucks is dangled like a caffeinated carrot. And she's lovely and she's polite to us. Um, and we're so lucky that she has a really healthy relationship with food and body image, but she doesn't want to eat good food. She wants to eat sugar and crap. I find honey. She had a jar of honey in her bedside table that she was eating with a spoon because she is a sugar addict. And I say to her all the time, that's not food. What you're eating there, that's not food. That's not food. And I use the words, I go, you'll die if you eat just that. You need to have food from the ground, food from the earth. 
I'm relating to you on the level that I'm capable of because I understand that what you are dealing with is far more serious. And I also understand from friends and colleagues whose children have suffered with anorexia is that the hospital is where they learn tips. They come back from the hospital sometimes sicker than when they went in. It's like jail. Like you go to jail and then you learn to be a better criminal. Well, you go to an eating disorder place and you learn to be better at having an eating disorder. It's so, so frustrating for families and it's so confusing. And I do not know how I would navigate that if I were in your situation. So really the only, the only place that I can really use my own experience to help is that I also have a daughter with a partner um, and we have two small children of our own, but he is not her biological father. He's father to the other ones. And I would say if Bobby ever went, well, Violet is too stressful or, you know, this brings out the worst to me, let's separate. I would go, guess what? These small children that we have together will be teenagers one day. And how you navigate problems with this teenager is a great training ground for how you might navigate, God forbid, problems with this one when it's a teenager or that one when it's a teenager. And our daughter has anorexia. I might, God forbid, get a different disease one day. And what's that going to do? You're going to be frustrated by that and you're going to leave. It's like sickness and health. So like I would have that very real conversation with my husband. I would go, how would you feel? Like, And there's just a way to talk to men. I don't know. I don't want to treat men like I think they're like delicate snakes or whatever, but it's like, you have to kind of, I just don't think that generally they're as good at communicating as we are. So you have to, if you, if you're looking at big picture and you want a good result, if you want to win the fight, win the fight, that's easy to win a fight against them. But if you want big picture improvements, I think you have to use language that they don't get defensive. So try not to say you do this and you do that. Just say, you know, I feel so hurt that the problems with our oldest daughter are making you want to separate. And that also makes me feel like, you know, my younger children are loved more than my older child. And that is so painful to me because if you could put yourself in my position for a minute, if this was your daughter with another woman and I was treating her this way, I like, think about our smaller children. Imagine I said, well, if the little one's going to do that, we're going to separate. I'll take the middle one and the older one and you deal with the little one. Like you'd go, what? And it's tough. And like life's tough and having teenagers is tough. I don't know. Like, I think he needs his own therapy. He needs to see someone if he's open to something like that. And these illnesses affect the whole family. It's why like Alcoholics Anonymous or Narcotics Anonymous have family programs too, because the whole family, um, gets wrapped into this cycle of addiction. I'm so sorry that you're dealing with this. I know that there's a charity that I used to work for about eating disorders. Was it called beat eating disorders? But definitely people are going to write in and I'm, I know that you're going to get, yeah, it's called beat eating disorders. No, that's not. Is that what it is? It's called BEAT. Yeah, the charity is called BEAT. Is the UK's leading charity supporting those affected by eating disorders and campaigning on their behalf. Founded in 1989 as the Eating Disorders Association, it celebrated its 30th anniversary in 2019. And their headquarters is in Norwich. 
but I've worked with them in London and they do wonderful work. And I know people are going to write. So this is going to be the first thing on next, next week's email. And God help us all with teenagers because these problems, I mean, it affects all age groups, but teenagers are so vulnerable. And I hate this for you. I hate this for your family. And I hope that we can have, make some meaningful impact. Catherine, dating with clashing cultures. Me, from a Middle Eastern background, and my boyfriend, from a fully English background, have been dating for the last four years, and everything has been good. We met whilst we were still at university as newly turned 20-year-olds and started dating pretty quickly. We've had ups and downs whilst trying to navigate a relationship amidst lockdowns and living quite a bit of distance between us. We keep having issues due to the pace that our relationship's moving. He wants to meet my family as my boyfriend. He wants to move in with me and be more open with our relationship. Oh, open, like tell people about our relationship or do you mean fuck other people? Although I do want to do this, I know our family's cultural differences keep bringing up issues. My parents have very old, strict, Middle Eastern mindset regarding dating and relationships. I don't think he understands that to them, relationships and dating holds a completely different meaning. In my family's view, you do not live together before marriage, and dating is for imminent marriage, and not just with the viewpoint of let's see how things go. This viewpoint that they hold is the reason why I've kept our relationship a secret for four years. And I know once they do find out, everything in the relationship will move quicker to a stage that I'm not ready for. I'm still at my parents' house and I'm still studying. I don't want to tell them about the relationship until I have more stability in my finances and a clearer idea of what my future will look like. I can see the effect that keeping our relationship a secret from my family is having on my boyfriend. I don't think he understands how complicated the relationship will become once they know about the relationship. Not just that they might disapprove, but they'll become a lot stricter regarding who I'm meeting and where I'm going. What do you think the next steps could be in my relationship? Is this doomed to fail? How can I explain to him my viewpoint toward the revelation of the relationship? I don't understand. My biggest question reading this all along is like, why haven't you explained this to him? What's wrong with him? Are you, you know, you're comfortable with him after four years. Surely you can be like, babe, let me talk to you about Middle Eastern culture and let me line out very clearly for you what will happen as soon as we announce that we are dating. We will be engaged that afternoon. We will be married the following weekend. Are you ready for that? Or we tell my parents that we're dating and then you don't see me again because they're trying to keep me safe under lock and key. My freedom is taken away. Not only can I not see you, I can't see my friends. I can't just go wherever I want. I'm going to be under surveillance. That's the only thing you need to say to him. And if he goes, yeah, 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 tell them. Then I think then that's very selfish. And I'm glad you found that out before you got married. He might surprise you. He might go, I want you to tell them because I want to marry you. <laughs> I don't know, but you're not ready for that. Is there, oh, because I know families, like you don't want one of your friend's moms to snitch on you either. Are there Middle Eastern people that you know that are removed from your own family who could explain this to him? Like, have you got a girlfriend whose parents are cool, but still very traditional that you could bring him over and have them explain or is there a couple maybe in your area? She doesn't say where she lives, but is there maybe a couple that are older and are married? And, and that man could be like, look, this is what happened as soon as her family found out. I couldn't see her, blah, blah, blah. Or like our marriage was rushed. Like he needs to get this through his head. It's not a difficult concept. 
it's like not everyone is English or maybe English people just imagine everyone will be English. He'll be like, I don't know. I don't understand. I like saffron. Shut up. Dating. This is why parents have an issue with dating out of your culture. Cause I dated someone for a while who was a different culture to me. And sometimes it really hurt my feelings that I think one of his older family members was quite negative about me one time in a really loving way. He was just like, end it now because she's a nice girl and this is just not going to work as a marriage. And he was right. He was very wise, very right. But there's a lot of shorthand in a long relationship, in a marriage, in a long life when you come from the same culture. And I didn't really realize this until I married Bobby and I realized we're from the same culture. I don't just mean like Canadian or white or whatever we are. I mean the same, like your house is a culture. The culture at your school like is a culture. Your ethnic background and the way that you're raised, that's a culture. But Bobby and I were raised in such a specific, small, niche culture where we have so much shorthand between us. We don't, you know, our values, our like deeply entrenched values are the same because we just grew up the same. We, there are words we don't have to say to each other because we just look at each other and we, we get it. Like, I know how his parents think. He knows how my parents think. We grew up in the same small town. We went to the same school. All of our references are the same references. And it makes things simpler. It does. So I can imagine why Middle Eastern parents are like, oh, just marry someone Middle Eastern. It'd be so much easier. That's not to say it's not impossible to have mixed ethnicities and mixed cultures and relationships. Of course that's possible. But the reason that your parents are hesitant maybe about that or a lot of people's parents is because of exactly stuff like this, that you're going to come up against a brick wall with an Englishman going, guess what? Your parents are cool about stuff that my parents aren't cool about. And you wouldn't have to explain that to another Middle Eastern boy. You know what I mean? So hopefully he's receptive to it. And he could be, and you could have a wonderful life together, or you could still date another five years and then decide he's not right for you and date someone else. Who knows? But he's going to have to be sensitive and receptive and open and respectful about where you come from and what that means. And if after four years, you're not in a place where you can have that very open conversation with him, then that is the true red flag. Sit him down, explain your family. He should absolutely get it. Okay. It's not doomed, by the way. That was your question. No, I don't think it's doomed, depending on how he responds. Please write us back and let us know. Telling everybody everything at gmail.com. We want updates from you. Catherine, I drunkenly tried to buy meds online and now I'm being blackmailed. The classic, the classic story. Firstly, please know that I know that what I've done is extremely stupid. I suffer from quite bad anxiety on and off and it really flared up Saturday as I decided to self-medicate by drinking an unhealthy amount of wine. This was silly and an unhelpful decision to make for myself, but I wasn't thinking rationally. In the early hours of the morning, I thought it would be a good idea to try to buy anti-anxiety medication online. I can't remember 100% what happened due to being quite drunk, but I put some sort of order through on a website and I supplied the usual inflow for an online purchase. The next morning, the website started sending me WhatsApps telling me I needed to make a PayPal payment for $350. I told them I don't want the medicine anymore. And they started blackmailing me and saying they're going to send Coke to my address and it would go through the authorities and they had all my details and the authorities would take all my life savings. Oh, keep in mind at this point, my anxiety was at peak point due to all the wine I drank the night before. I immediately started going into full panic mode. Listen, 
That is the worst because they're preying on someone that they know has anxiety because you ordered anti-anxiety medication. And they're saying outlandish things to make you feel more anxious. Let me tell you something about drug dealers. No drug dealer is ever going to send Coke to your house for free. And no drug dealer is ever going to snitch on you to any authorities because they're the drug dealer. The drug dealer is the bad guy. Always. The next morning, oh God, my husband was out. So I called my mom and she immediately said that these people were scammers and that I shouldn't worry. She told me to call a close family friend who knows more about online stuff. He also assured me that these are just scammers preying on vulnerable, anxious people to get money. I called my best friend who said the same. My husband came home to me in pieces and he was extremely supportive and wanted to report these people to the police, which I asked him not to because I think I'll be in trouble. I'm trying to use logic and listen to everything I've been told by my friends and family. They keep assuring me that now I've blocked these people and reported the several PayPal invoices that came through from them, that it should all be over and they will have moved on to their next victim. I just can't ease my anxiety though. And I'm terrified that someone will come to my house or send something to me or the police will come. I'm also feeling a high sense of shame. And I think I need to take a big break from going anywhere near alcohol, especially drinking on my own. It's not healthy or helpful. There's obviously nothing more I can do, and I don't know what advice you can give me, if any, but I thought it would be an idea to write down my thoughts and try to get it out of my head. I just pray to whatever higher mystical powers there are in the universe that nothing else comes of this, and I can laugh at a later date. Oh my God. Does it say how old you are? You're married. You did nothing wrong. You did nothing wrong. It's not like you were cruising like teen sex websites. You bought anti-anxiety medication online. You can always just say like, I just wanted to know, I didn't know it was illegal or like, I just wanted to know if you could, I had anxiety. Like you're not going to be in trouble for this. Even if the police came to your door, which they're not going to do me a favor, stand out in your garden and yell for help. Call the police. They're not coming. (laughs) So they're not. I mean, in all seriousness, if you're ever in real trouble, just yell fire, 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 fire. People help when you yell fire and call the fire department. The Met Police lately, no police are coming to your house. But even if they did, you would say, I didn't know that what I was doing was wrong. I just needed anti-anxiety medication because I had anxiety and I found a website. It seemed legit. My doctor was not awake. And then I, when I realized that they wanted to give me Coke, I backed out of the whole thing. I realized how wrong it was. You didn't do anything. No money exchanged hands. If anything, you would have been like curious about like, oh, I heard you can buy anti. Wow. You should report these people. I mean, nothing's going to happen to them either is the sad truth. But um, thank you for telling us about it because it's going to stop people from trying to buy anti-anxiety medication from these scammers. That's exactly what's happened. All the people who love you in your life, you can't see uh, reality because your anxiety is clouding your vision like a tornado around you, right? So you can't really see what's truth and what's not. But there's evidence in life to let you know what's real. And that evidence is your mom and the friend of your mom and your husband and me and all the people who care about you are going oh my gosh, don't worry, this happens all the time. We don't have anxiety, so we can see clearly. We promise you 100% nothing bad is going to happen. No one's coming to your house because there's nothing in it for them to come to your house. First of all, they're probably not even based in the UK. Secondly, they probably don't even have anxiety medication. No one is turning up at your house. It's just too much admin. They're not doing it for 350 pounds. They're not 
going to call the police. It's a 0% chance anything bad is going to happen to you. I promise. I like what you said about drinking less. We should all drink less. And that horrible feeling in the morning that you describe, it's just not worth the drinking. This is illegal, but I know a lot of people now, the young people, are uh, microdosing on mushroom oil. <laughs> and um, I wouldn't recommend that either. Like I, I'm very lucky that I'm out of the drugs game. And I have a drink now and then, but I don't like to get drunk because it's just not worth it. It's not worth the anxiety in the morning. That's a horrible feeling, but you know from experience, it's a temporary feeling. And this was a wonderful thing to happen because you had a scare and now you've gone, oh, do you know what? I think I'm drinking too much and I shouldn't drink alone and I need to examine my relationship with alcohol. And there's no shame in that. Lots of people are doing that. If you go to LA, nobody drinks alcohol. I was having champagne with breakfast, like a British person. And all the waiters at the Four Seasons were like, what? Like just nobody ever drinks there because they're obsessed with health. Get obsessed with health. Have a green juice. Have a smoothie. Get a good night's rest. Meditate. Do yoga. Do all the things to calm your anxiety because oh, calm and peace is the spice of life. I'm glad that you have all these people who support you. Don't worry about it. No harm, no foul. You didn't kill anyone. No one got hurt. You felt scared. That's over now. And you never have to feel that way again. I wish you all the peace and calm that I have in my heart. If you ever want to write us a letter, it's telling everybody everything at gmail.com. If you like the podcast, please feel free to share it with people. I forgot to even film it today, so there'll be no clips on my socials. That's a shame I have mascara on. Fuck. Thank you for listening. Look after yourselves. We'll see you next week. Small details are big surfaces. Tight corners are odd shapes. Flat, rounded, textured, or tall. Whatever your next project, there's a spray paint pattern that's just right. Because Rust-Oleum's new Custom Spray 5-in-1 gives you control with five different spray patterns. So you can tackle nooks, crannies, edges, and curves without worrying about drips, runs, uneven coverage, or anything else. Custom Spray 5-in-1. Only from Rust-Oleum. Why don't more infant formula companies use organic, grass-fed whole milk instead of skim? Why don't more infant formula companies use the latest breast milk science? Why don't more infant formula companies run their own clinical trials? Why don't more infant formula companies use more of the proteins found in breast milk? Why don't more infant formula companies have their own factories instead of outsourcing their manufacturing? We wondered the same thing. So we made Byheart a better formula for formula. Learn more at byheart.com.